Why, hello, boys and girls. The following episode is a collection of outtakes from our DC animated Apocrypha episode. It includes both pre-show and post-show conversations, as well as a section removed from the episode itself. We begin with a short exchange with Tom Revoir. Then, after a promo, we'll be joined by JT from Saskatoon. And then Tom Revoir rejoins the conversation. Thomas Revoir is joining us. Whoa! This is Thomas. Hey, Tom. It's uh, it's us. We're hey. How y'all? How you doing? Get your keys. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy! It's one of those days today. Everything seems to be running slow. Okay. Where are you at right now? Right now, I'm in a very noisy Baskin Robbins. Oh. I'm getting a Captain America Sunday. Okay. Did you see the movie? I uh, just saw it again today. Saw it once at Comic Con and once. Uh, a second time just a little bit ago. Neil and I were just going over old episodes of the 90s Spider-Man and uh, on Netflix it looks like shit because they were because they were using like really blood out uh, copies of the master for the DVD yeah. and yeah. He, basically all the red bleeds out all the black lines on Spider-Man's costume. Oh, so it looks like the 60s Spider-Man costume. <laughs> <laughs> It looks really bad. It's uh, it, it's amazingly bad. It's uh, no. It, and I was talking to Neil about how the Sentinels look worse in the Spider-Man cartoon than they did in the X-Men cartoon when they did the X-Men crossover. Boy, they they were like these bright pastel purples that look like fan art of the uh, Foxes one, uh, of the uh, X-Men versions. <laughs> it really does look like someone on DeviantArt drew them. <laughs> It was it was quite sad. It was very sad, and it was almost as sad as knowing that Toei actually animated three episodes of uh, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, but it was only a three-episode long season. <laughs> it was the one that did their origin stories. I think you know the three. Yep. It was. Uh, I was showing, and Toei did a really good job, except for this one shot where Wolverine was actually flying. Well, he must have had the burritos of it for lunch. Well, it was, uh, and it was, it was the Australian Wolverine, by the way. Boy, I don't know what's wrong with Australian. So many great things came out of Australia, like yeah. shrimp on the barbie and Mel Gibson. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and we can't forget Jocko. Yahoo, serious? Boy, this is just going downhill real quickly. <laughs> Crocodile Dundee. All back steakhouse. Uh, the, the song Land Down Under? Yeah, but it work. Well, Australia gave us ACDC. That's true. true. Oh, it's true. Uh, my the 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 uh, the Russ Martin show the last couple of days have been like giving a big thing about the, the song Highway to Hell. Yeah. They they, they they swear that the singer is saying the N word. Instead of instead of season ticket. They swear that he's singing Cize. Uh That's... <laughs> no. I don't even know how you could even mistake well, that. Well, you know, the Russ Martin show is a local show around here. I, I think Tom's familiar with it. Actually, it's syndicated. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, uh, have, you heard, have you heard Russ Martin go on about the season ticket is actually... Can't say that I have. I actively avoid him. Yeah, that's just dumb. I mean, I, I suffer from a serious case of good taste. 
I mean, there's such thing as audio pareidolia, but that doesn't even count. That, it, it's not even close. <laughs> what do you well, think? I, mean, I, I think, think I think it's season ticket. I hear season ticket. Yeah, yeah, because it's obviously not the other. Thing. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll swear that I heard the words uh, Al Gore was right in Louie Louie. <laughs> but Al Gore's never right. Well, according to NASA. He's dead wrong. <laughs> oh, I converted uh, somebody off of a JT from uh, from another podcast, a geek podcast. I converted him to being a Jeff Johns hater from a Jeff Johns lover with just one sen- sentence a few weeks ago. Oh? Yeah, I said, remember that episode of Justice League Unlimited that Jeff Johns wrote with Hawkman? Mm-hmm. Did you realize how much he was ripping off the Sentry, the Void? He thought for a few seconds, and then he said... Fuck Jeff Johns. <laughs> wow. Because well, it really was ripping off the Sentry of the Void. I was actually amazed that Johns had the balls to do that. And I just wish that someone in Marvel will finally say, okay, we have to retire the Sentry and don't use them again for, like, ever. I, lo- I love the original Sentry Mini because it was a very cool met- meta-fictional idea. And then... And then it wasn't. Well, to me, it was just the... It was the three Bs again. Bigger, better, better. Yeah, I mean, rather than come up with a storyline, let's just make this uber-powerful character who is his own worst enemy. And it's not like we haven't seen that before. <laughs> Dark Phoenix. <clears throat> well, you know what? They, 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 they nerfed off on, on Phoenix by making it not really Jean Grey. It made Jean Grey stuck in, like, a tube in the bottom of the river. Uh, they did the same thing with Marvel with uh, 52, I mean, uh, Heroes Returns. Reborn, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what the whole, uh, what was the character's name? Out something, not Outlast. Onslaught? Out- Onslaught, that's what it was. I mean, that was the Dark Professor X, which they used in previous stories before, too. Well, it was actually like Professor X being influenced by Magneto's evil or something, and something happened and something. Yeah, and the whole had to be really mad or something. I don't know. It was it was all crap. So, which is why I love the fact that DC's doing now exactly what failed back in the nineties. Exactly what but like failed. I said, Dan DiDio is someone who yeah, Dan DiDio is someone who thought he could do things better than Julie Schwartz. So, I like what they're doing with the uh, retrograde or whatever they're calling it, retrospect comics, where they're making new old stories and including in some of the original stories from the 70s and 80s to where they actually had stories. The thing is, this they won't even have the gall to, they won't even have like the courage of saying this is a this is just a different universe. They're saying, no, this is we're, we're replacing the existing universe. The existing universe doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, the latest Green Lantern Corps totally shit all over Kyle Rayner, and someone posted about him like, "Oh no, a Jeff Johns controlled team shitting on Kyle Rayner. Who would have thought?" <laughs> well, and the thing that really gets me is, I mean, this is what the third or fourth time they've completely recreated the universe in the past five years. I know. Well, it's not even recreating the universe as much as one of the things I bitched about was about five years ago. We went through three different uh, ret- retcons of, super, uh, of what Krypton was like in three years, mm-hmm. and I called a, I called bullshit on it because I'm like, that should matter the least when you're trying to tell new Superman stories. If you're so goddamn hung up on the Silver Age, you have to retell this, 
retell the Krypton story again and again and again. You're hung up on it. Stop it. Get over it. Tell a new story. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, you had the you had the real truth of Krypton. I forgot who wrote it, but I knew it was Ed McGinnis's crappy art drawing it. I know I know people have pissed off on me saying that, but I don't like Ed McGinnis's art at all. And then you have Return to Krypton, and then you had Birthright. Three stories in three years. That's a bit much for anybody, I think. Well, I see two major things influencing what DC is doing. One is the D.O. seems, other than being a complete freaking moron and a hack, well, no, I, I, he has to improve to be a hack. <laughs> but um, he's got this fetish for the Silver Age. I, I'm sorry, I'm a fan of the Silver Age. Even I don't want to see it return. That's why they've got all the reprints. And he has this fetish for the number 52. Well, he's a serial killer. That's a secret, Neil. It's a yeah. secret, Tom. It's the, the, the secret is 52. But then take a look who the other co-publisher of DC is nowadays. Jim Lee, who was one of the instrumental characters, uh, people behind what? Heroes, Heroes Reborn. Reborn. So he's going to try it again with a whole new set of characters to completely screw them up. You know what? The big thing is when DC bought Wildstorm and they just made the, the Wildstorm universe its own imprint, they never tried to mix the two, except for mm-hmm. an occasional crossover. I was fine with that. And, but for them to treat Wildstorm like they did with, with Charlton, just full-out integrate it in the next reboot, no! Well, not just Charlton. Look what they did just a few years ago with the Milestone characters. I know. They integrated them in, and what happened to them? With the exception of Static, they've all disappeared again. And that pisses me off because... It, I'm a big fan of Icon because Icon was the first non-stereotypical black superhero. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's... Uh, he, let wasn't me... a, he wasn't a homeboy. He was what people should have been aspiring to, black or white. Be successful, be a good person. Yep. Well, I mean, if you, if you all want to wait about half an hour, I mean, I can get back on my... By that time, I'll be back on my computer instead of my phone. Okay, that should work. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to you then. It's, uh, we, we'll have another second. Okay, all right, talk to you then. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye. Tooncast is dedicated to the cartoons we grew up with. 100 episodes and more make up one of the GCRN's most popular podcasts. Join hosts TFG and Mike, Optimus Solo, Terror the Rising Star, and tons of guest hosts. We also have voice actor and writer interviews. Tune in to Tooncast as we look back on the cartoons that defined us as geeks. You can find Tooncast on iTunes and the web at www.geekcastradio.com. Tune in. They had a Mad Balls cartoon? They, oh, yeah. You know, they have a cartoon for all the furries out there called Road Rovers. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at this playlist that I've done with all these cartoons. Okay, Denver the Last Dinosaur. I, I like that one. You know what cartoon was actually really, really funny, but ran really, really short? It was the one with the alien cats. Alien cats. Yeah, they basically they 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 help people and stuff. Oh, and wasn't it sort of in continuity with with Elf or something like that? Something like that, where basically half the show is is puppets and the other half of the show is a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, because it was made by Alien Productions. Yeah. Uh, so let me see. If, I think I got it here. Like Mars cats or something like that. Space cats. Didn't this run like? The same time on NBC when they had like pro stars and that god awful Macaulay Culkin cartoon, Wish Kid. And yeah. no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. 
<laughs> yeah, you, you know, it doesn't hold as much water when you out yourself like that, Ben. <laughs> Wasn't that like the same time they had like a Where's Waldo cartoon? Yes, where Where's Waldo, where Waldo had a magic cane. Yes. And what was the, he had like an evil twin who had black and white stripes? Odov, and I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oddlaw, Oddlaw, Oddlaw. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> who was actually in the books? I don't. I didn't know there was a narrative in the books. I there, just, there isn't a narrative, but Oddlaw was in the books. Okay. Was he? Was he the character that was on every page that would just fake you out? Yeah. Like you, you'd be like, "Oh, I found Waldo." Oh, wait, that's not him. That's his douchebag cousin. And then he had the wizard, who was also in the books. I don't know how they made it like a plot out of that. For the, uh, you know, I think I saw like one episode, and I couldn't even. Basically, Waldo spins his cane to make a dimensional portal to walk through, and each portal he shows up in is like one of the weird worlds that showed up in the books. Okay, with all the stuff. And and after the first commercial break, they have like a huge scene where he had to find Waldo in thirty seconds. Yeah. You know, I think I remember that show, and I remember watching it, just thinking, uh, "How long until Pro Stars is on?" I I don't care what you say. I don't think Bo Jackson can pull up a fucking uh, different Space Cats, Neil. I, I uh, know it was just the next link. <laughs> I was like, "Oh yeah, that's more like it." The Cadillac Cats. I remember this one. Who, who animated this. Who animated this again? This looks good. This was Deke, and I think Deke was using. Uh, they might have been using Toei. Yeah, this looks like Toei. Something about the shading says Toei to yeah. me. That reminds you, do you know about the the only season of Spider-Man and his amazing friends animated by Toei, JT? Uh, was that the first, second? It was the second season. You want to know why it's a shame? Why is that? It was three episodes long, the second season. All right. <laughs> you know how long the third season was? 16, ep- 16 episodes. Okay. In the first season, about 16 episodes, so you have like two episodes of shit sandwiching three episodes of good animation. Except, of course, the one scene where Wolverine flies. Or the first episode where they contend that the Green Goblin isn't a mask, but Norman Osborn actually changing form. And by the way, they're like, oh, you turned into the Green Goblin. Oh, gee, I should go get some help. Yeah. Yes, let's put him in a sanatorium, not a lab for genetic research. It's just as a kid, it's just like okay, he changes literally into the goblin. It's like, didn't he wear a mask before? And I believe my cousin answered with, uh, "He got better." Got better. He got better. <laughs> yeah. He's like, weren't you in that plane? Well, clearly you that he plane got better. That, weren't you in that plane that crashed into the shark? Yeah. <laughs> Michael Caine. Don't make her remember that movie. Michael Caine's like, shut up! I'm the goddamn Batman's butler. I'm I'm watching the Cadillac Cats here. You know, I hate to say it, but uh, Riff Raff's girlfriend is a major uh, furry uh, hottie. Well, you <laughs> she's have a she's, for a, she's a furry sex fantasy. I'm just you know, saying just, that she's furry based. You have a thing for eighty socks. Yeah, but I didn't mean on anthropomorphic cat. You know, suddenly my uh, obsession with the Marvel Comics character Tiger makes a whole lot more sense. Oh God. 
Thomas Revor has joined the call. Uh, yeah, we have JT here. He's not the super duper a Teen, Titans, Teen Titans fanboy we were hoping for, but he's someone who has an interesting opinion. He was just telling us about how much he loves Tigra from uh, from uh, Marvel. Books are animated. Anytime Frank Show draws her. Well, That's you, just said, you said the magic words. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when, when, when Frank Show made uh, Ultron show up as a naked woman. It was actually Tony Stark's body turning into a naked woman for Ultron to use. As, I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to yeah. explain it. It's Frank Cho drawing it. Yeah, with the constantly shifting silver patterns to cover up the naughty bits. I don't know. And then at the end of the story, when he turns back into Tony Stark, they're like, yeah, you, you got turned into a woman. <laughs> First thing he does is lift up the blanket and look. <laughs> 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 He's like, ah, oh, yes, back to normal. <laughs> Seriously, like, and, and, and part of part of the reason, like I love that thing, is because Frank shows are just the way he draws this, what the fuck look on Tony Stark's face when he lifts up the blanket. He's like, oh god, oh god, oh god. <laughs> I don't, I don't think Tom read that issue. No, actually, I did. Oh. oh, yeah, back when they were doing the New Avengers and the Mighty Avengers and the Young Avengers and Junior Avengers and the Avenger Pets and all that stuff. Yeah, pet. Don't forget the pet Avengers. Oh, yeah. which they actually brought back Miss Lion from the Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends cartoon. Oh God! Yeah. Oh, they had uh, what is it? Speedball's cat, and uh, Lockjaw from the Inhumans. I think Lockheed from X-Men was in there. Do they have? Do they have the Thor frog? Yes. Oh God! Yes, they no. do. Oh God! No. It was like I, I don't know if the the pet Avengers is actually in continuity or it's part of that Marvel Adventures kids line, but yeah, they bring back. Uh, no, it was in continuity. Oh, you know what? Yeah. I, you know, what I did enjoy was for a while Marvel used to have like these these uh, comic strip style comics drawn almost in a Bill Watterson style about uh, Franklin Richards and Herbie having adventures like Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah, it wasn't. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh god! Yes. Who was doing it? He's, they also did another comic. Um, I love that. I love that because it made perfect sense. It's like this is gold. I got to remember who the artist is. That's a man I wish would come back to comics. Bill Watterson. Yeah. yeah. No, but uh... yeah, not who was. Yeah, it? who drew that? I love those. It's. I'm glad you both know who who which ones I'm talking about, though. Yeah. So, da, 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 da. I had someone tell me that that totally wasn't aping on Bill Watterson's style. I'm like, are you crazy? Oh, that totally Calvin and Hobbes with it. That is such a lie because you just look at Franklin; it's straight up Calvin. Yeah, and Herbie's totally being Hobbes. Uh, I believe it was Chris Eliopoulos. That's it. The last name. Yeah, because didn't he used to do like those Charlie Brown style Marvel strips? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it was called Franklin Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius. He also had uh, a backup, uh, a beast line story in, God help him, Savage Dragon. Oh, take, by the way, here it is, guys, just so we can all, like, marvel in the Marvel art. Yeah. Franklin's wearing Fantastic Four pajamas. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these were very clever strips. They were totally, they were totally aping off of Calvin and Hobbes, but I didn't care because it was actually brilliant. The idea to do this, 
And they had to have Herbie in there so kids didn't set themselves on fire. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they could have Firestar out there where she microwaves her own ovaries to where she's sterile. Yeah, Yeah, for the kids. Well, no, it's the the whole uh, Herbie thing. It's like I used to read uh, Toy Fair magazine when Wizard was still putting it out, and they had the Twisted Mago Theater in there. They had this one where uh, the Willie Lumpkin shows up. He's like, oh, here's your Fantastic Four cartoon royalties checks, guys. And, oh, yes, Mr. Grimm's new copy of Swank, slightly used. And then they're like, uh, what's it? Grimm goes to the Human Torch. He's like, hey, Torch, you want to go light $100 bills on fire? Oh, wait, you don't get a royalty check. (laughs) (laughs) And then they go to, like, some sort of, uh, like, Robo, like, what do you call it, BattleBots thing where uh, it's a free friend. (laughs) The Torch puts Herbie into the battle. He goes up against uh, Soundwave, whose only move is to transform into a cassette deck and eject the tape, and Herbie reads it, Sticks Greatest Hits. And then the Vision gets in there, and they play Vision and the Scarlet Witch like the Scarlet Witch is a complete bitch, and he snaps at everything he looks at looks like the Scarlet Witch, so he... He wins the match, but then they cart him off because he's uncontrollable. He's, I'll see you in hell, you flame-haired harpy. <laughs> and, but, and, uh... Oh, no, the, be- the best part, then, is at the end, Herbie's gonna win it, and the torch is like, oh, screw this. Yeah, I'm like the pre-crisis or whatever human torch and demand to kick 100% of this robot's ass, and all of a sudden, Herbie turns into a goddamn Gundam. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, what I love is that Tom, did you catch the original Human Torch cameo in in Captain America? In Captain America, absolutely. I'm the one who told others about that as well. I thought that was a a double in joke. I loved it, and I love how it wasn't. It didn't like take up the whole screen and like make the movie pause. It was just something no, there for. It was yeah. the right way to do this versus versus the shield half disassembled. And yeah, this is exactly what I needed. Let's use it well, to prop up my super collider. See, now I think that I mean we'll never see thing a thing about that again. I think, like I said, to me it was a double in joke because. It was the right time. He what the original Human Torch was a compatriot uh, back in the Invaders with Cap, yeah. but then considering it was Chris Evans who was playing Cap now, I think that was just a nice little nudge, 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 wink, wink. And yeah. I like I like how they made made us see Chris Evans as the wimp for so long in the movie that by the time he's Cap, we don't we don't even have a thought of Human Torch in our mind anymore. Yeah, I mean it uh, works. It works. Yeah. He did a terrific job as Cap. I, I mean, yeah. I, I think that it was a terrific acting job all the way around. I mean, Hugo Welling always makes up – Hugo Weaving always makes a great villain. Uh, I mean, Tommy Lee Jones – I'm not going to guess great. But, yeah, it's absolutely – it was a terrific movie. I think uh, other than Iron, the original Iron Man movie, this is probably the best of the Marvel movies. It's still, it still suffered a slight case of Avengeritis, but not near as bad. Yeah. Although I'd argue the best Marvel movie – uh, even though it's not in line with the continuity, was X Men First Class. It was very good. First Class was very good. I had a problem with First Class, and it's, it's because of, because it's because Taggart didn't have a. No, it was because of, of a line that a late friend of mine had. I mean, you've got all these young mutants together, and which one of them dies? The black guy. <laughs> but. I mean, which out of all of them, which one dies? I mean, the only one of the young mutants to die during the movie, the black guy. So, but they, at least they gave Darwin a badass death. Yeah, but still. And he could technically still be alive because he could see depths. Yeah, in the comics, he survived the whole 
Krakatoa mission by turning into energy and sur- surviving within the third Summers brother. Oh God! Don't mention the third Summers brother again. <laughs> what were we talking okay, about? This is I one can't one remember. I don't know about, and I don't know if I want to know about. No, no, you don't want to know about the third Summers brother because he's the douchiest of them all. In in the first it's, one, the first one dumped his wife because his ex girlfriend came back from the dead. But his wife was a clone of the ex girlfriend, so. But that still, makes the, still, she was totally normal before. Then after he dumped her, she became a super villain and went crazy. If you could argue, if he didn't dump her, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. that whole, that whole storyline. I mean, I think they had a nice storyline there until they decided to bring X, create X Factor and bring Jean Ray back. I mean, my God, she. I think Death gives her frequent flyer miles. Pretty much, and didn't like the the clone go on to like engage in an will they won't they very sexualized relationship with the clone of her son from an alternate dimension? Something like that. Yeah, you're talking, uh, about, you're talking uh, about the Goblin Queen, right? Yes, yes, and okay. X Men, which was another one of these stupid ass ideas. Madeline Pryor. Yes. Yeah, don't you just love the '90s? They give you so much fodder to hate in comic books. And, uh, I thought until... Madeline Pryor was an '80s thing. Late 80s, early 90s. That was, I mean, the Goblin Queen was all 90s. Yes. That, Inferno, uh, let me see, when was Inferno? Wearing a costume that even Elvira shied away from. <laughs> Giddy up. Yeah. Elvira. Okay, 19, Inferno was 1989. So, close yeah. enough for my tastes. Yeah. You can grandfather it in there. Yeah. It yeah, just, so, uh, so... Freak, uh, your partner totally totally pushed out on the bashing the DC reboot thing. Yeah, I read that, and then like the one, aside from friends that have like followed the blog, our one fan, the Power Girl fan, yeah, who's really cool to talk to. I talked to her a few times on Twitter. You know, she had that really nice post, and I'm writing my own thing. It's not a retraction. It's just I think I was a little too emotional in the show, so I'm trying to clarify what I find wrong. But the thing, the thing is, you know, if you didn't talk to me before, you wouldn't have near had that much emotion before you did the show. Oh no, I had the emotion. In fact, I had people who like literally left the comic book store because I was ranting so much. But uh, well, then you're doing your job. You're making sure they're not buying. Yeah, no, it's just, like, no, seriously, it's... before we started recording the show, it's like, okay, Doug, I'm going to go, I went into his basement, I went into the bathroom he had down there, Doug, I'm going to take, like, two or three minutes, I'm just going to rant, and I'm going to get 90% of my rage out so I don't turn into a lunatic on the show, and if you had held the mic up to the door, all you would have heard is, fuck, 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 fuck. In Jeff Johns? No, that was just all-inclusive with, you know, I was thinking of John's, and I switched over to the Didiot, which is the only way. Thank you, Ben. That's the only way I'm going to refer to this guy now. <laughs> thank Tom. Tom's the one who came up yeah. with it. Okay. I'm the one who came up with that. Well, thank you, Tom, because that's I will not refer to that man by any other words than the Didiot. Well, I I sort of liked mine. You forgot the L in the name, but but uh, it's, uh... But yeah, no. Before I did the show, I had to do that. Otherwise. Yeah, That's why, I, 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 what I loved was the fact that I converted you off of John's with one sentence. Yeah, that was magic. That was I. I couldn't believe it took only one sentence. I, I was I, I had notes and everything everything prepared. And, <laughs> and, and, and he's but, like, "Yeah, thanks, man. I had all this prepared." No, yeah, I Ben's can't. usually prepared for the long haul, and he's not used to winning an argument in, in like one exchange. Well, that's because I'm used to arguing with people like Blanchard. <laughs> 
Well, but, remember what his whole defense with 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 X Men Evolution versus Fox's X Men. Remember what his defense was, Neil? Nostalgia. Well, it's also because the, see, I always wanted to see Professor Xavier walk, and when he walked in Evolution, he was evil. He didn't even walk in Evolution. He was like floating. Well, it, it was just really, really weird because it, it, it was such a weird defense. He actually went on about the fact that the viewing, the viewing, he, he viewed it on Netflix, and Netflix had the had it in the production, the production uh, order order versus the airing order. So he so basically they ended season three on a one shot episode versus it on the two part epic, which is how it aired. And yeah. he bitched about it for like ten minutes, and finally got the word in Edgewise and said that's the production. Order, not the airing order. Netflix got wrong. He blames me. <laughs> He's like, "Well, you should have told me that I was watching." I'm like, "I didn't watch it on Netflix. I watched it when it first aired. I didn't have to watch it again." Yeah. And he says, "Well, I'm still going to count against it because that's how I watched." It, is what he said. And no other reviewer would ever do that. A real reviewer would say, "Oh, my mistake." I or it, they they'd at least blame like whoever whoever uh... blame Netflix for having in the wrong era. Yeah, and then and then they'd say and then they'd say. Upon upon no upon you know receiving this new knowledge, I now amend my opinion of it. They wouldn't just say, "Oh, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to still use course. this as a neg- uh, yeah, stay the course." That's exactly what he did. He stayed the course. <laughs> he even admitted, like within the first twenty minutes, he's like, he's like, "I'm always going to go with nostalgia." And in the show, I I did a little post work where I uh, kind of uh, gave my opinion of that. <laughs> <laughs> It was. Ugh. I don't know how you feel about Evolution versus uh, Fox, but I think Evolution wins hands down. It, better it animated, better art, better stories. Actors better don't sound like this. Yeah, yeah uh, no, no canned lines. Like a lot of times, it was like it sounded like they were phoning it in on X Men. Like I like I, when I was a kid, I loved the '90s X Men because it's X Men, it's cartoon, and oh my god. But then I saw Evolution, and I was like, Revelation! What, what I loved was the fact that he tried to say that Scott was an emo in in Evolution, but he missed the part about how in Evolution, like in the Fox series, most of the lines between Scott and Gene were soap opera lines. And, and we put that in the show. Scott, you should take a look at Wolverine in the X-Men. My God. Well, look at, look, at, just... look, look at Wolverine in the Fox series. He was, during Gene and Scott's wedding, he was practicing cutting by having the sentinel, by having the sentinel robot blasting him because he was so pissed off yeah. and emo, he he would rather like hurt himself. That's what cutting is. <laughs> yeah. And then you have the second part of the episode. You have Scott Summers' testicle being bitten off by a carnivorous vine, and I people. Oh, and that's the thing. The guy who was who's going to be on this episode, the engineer, was telling me like that's not what that scene implied at all. You're not really given any other context. What do you, what do you expect people to draw from that? <laughs> you, you two know what scene we're talking about, right? It's been a while. I mean, I've avoided the X-Men cartoons since the original broadcasts. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll find the scene because I just want to hear. It's this large phallic-looking vine <laughs> with teeth, and so he uses is... it over over Scott's crotch. What else do you think he's doing? And then they cut the scene to Scott's Scott's face screaming while you hear a sickening crunch. So what you're saying is someone was watching the Evil Dead when they were animating this scene. Well, let me Possibly. find it. Okay, that was part well, part. On a flip two. side, it could just be that uh, Scott Summers uh, took that plant and deflowered it. Oh. 
I think that's worse. <laughs> that's worse. <laughs> I'm going to find like this. Those... God damn it. Yeah. It's just one of those things that wants to make you fall to your knees and cry, why? Yeah, yeah Ben did go, did kind of go round and round with Blanchard a few times. and But <laughs> a few <laughs> after times. a while, I'm like, I'm like, I'm just sitting there thinking, my uh, like Ben, why are you going this far with them? But after after hearing it like two or three more times while editing it, I'm like, no, Ben was right. <laughs> okay, uh, watch from three minutes, three minutes, and just keep on watching and uh, tell me what you think happens in this scene. Because what basically what happened was the engineer said to me that I have a dirty mind for thinking that's what happened. Your whole but that's how everyone thinks. <laughs> Like everyone immediately defaults to sex. I mean, you can't you can't blame someone for that. We're only human. Yeah. I, I just want to hear. Oh God, I forgot how bad the dialogue in this crap was. <laughs> Wait to hear some of the excerpts that we used. <laughs> you, did you see it? Did you see the thing? Uh, it's going the two fifty-five here. Yeah. I, I oh, just come. My internet hates me. Okay, it's starting at about 2.55. Okay, just start watching and you'll see it. Did you see it, Tom? Yeah. What I happened? Mean, it's very ambiguous as to where the thing was placed, but... I think, I mean, taking a look at what it spit out, maybe he just it took a chunk out of his kidney stones or something. I don't know. That's what cow fry looks like all fried up. I shall give birth to the future. What the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that scene, John? The fucking killer condo that grew out of the floor bit off one of his nads. <laughs> Well, of course, the next line from Scott was, Gene, why aren't you that good? <laughs> well, that, oh, that Gene was terrible because she's all, Scott! Oh, Scott! And, 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 yeah, at first, like, he grows the killer, you know, cucumber, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> and this thing is like, did Mr. Sinister put, like, streetwalker levels of lipstick on this thing? <laughs> well, look at Mr. Sinister's that- face himself. Yeah, well, yeah, clearly he's a fan of don't Kiss. Don't you love the '90s? Ugh. Oh, with the with the the so much mousse and hair gel that he's essentially created helmet head. His hair. <laughs> well, the original intention of Mister Sinister was it was like a teenage kid creating this psychic image, and that's what Mister Sinister was Sinister was supposed to be because the intent was the artist and the writer were like, "There's no way this kind of character could really be real. This is like some teenager thinking what what scary looks like." And then someone up above is like, no, 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 we like it this too much. This has to be a real character. Yeah, that was uh, during, um, God, no, I can't think of his name. Tom DeFalco's reign as uh, editor-in-chief. It's sort of like what happened with Cobra Law. <laughs> you had someone <laughs> up above saying that the stupid idea is the one that should fit. And the writer's like, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, it's kind of like what we've got at DC now. Yeah. But then you can totally believe the uh, incredulous looks that all the other members of Cobra had when they go into the valley with the, you know, 80-foot-tall mushroom. Oh, whatever Tom, you... Tom, something we learned from our Flint Dilly episode. Uh-huh. You, you know who to thank for Optimus Prime's badass death in the movie? Duke. No. Who? Frank Miller. I could believe it. 
because Flint was working on the working on it, and they once the the decision from up above came to kill Optimus Prime, Flint had to come up with an idea of badass enough death. And Frank Miller says, "Hey, have you all ever seen the movie Three Hundred Spartans?" Oh Jesus, not this again. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the thing is, I told I told John John this, and John started getting upset because the idea of Frank Miller tainted his Transformers. No, I mean I I really think that that I'm thankful that they delayed the GI Joe movie so it was direct to video instead of theater, and it. Gave I knew you could just walk away step. from a cobra to the heart. Oh, I was what's a man? Come on, how could you get away with lines like that? And maybe Duke is like. Has like some wiki blood in him. Maybe that's why he survived. <laughs> Those people can survive falling rocks. The death of Prime was definitely one of the most. I mean, I think that's what cemented Transformers fandom was the death of Prime. It was something that you've yeah. never seen before. And I'm sorry, I still don't know why all the hate for Hot Rod. He's still my favorite character. I don't hate him. I just like him better as Hot Rod. See, I, yeah. I, I don't think that Rodimus Prime, even with the dumbest name in existence, was that bad. He just was, I mean, he's trying to do, fill some big shoes. Really Hot big Rod's shoes. back. Let's party. Yeah. <laughs> you know, although the way they, they introduced Hot Rod in the IDW, like the current ongoing series continuity and. I really no, like when they did it. The re- a real yeah. hot shot. No pun but the intended. but the way, the way that they introduced uh, RC in the IDW series should get you cringing because oh, no. hot oh, because no. RC is a post op. Yeah. A forced well a forced RNA, um, basically the only female transformer. And actually, I thought that was a great idea. You know, it gives a reason for it, even if it gets rid of Alita One and some of the other female but, bots. But there. basically, the whole thing is RC is pissed off as hell and has fangs and is chasing the Decepticon that did this to her and is PMSing and the whole story and all that. It, I don't know. I don't like it. I don't yeah. know. I, I, thought, I actually, I like the storyline with RC. It, the origin of her makes more sense. The execution of it not so much. Yeah. Well, what no, about, what about Spotlight Megatron, where it revealed Megatron had underneath his helmet long, luscious locks of wire? Robo hair, yeah. <laughs> Actually, the whole, leaving that aside, I, I loved the. Uh, and uh, by the way, Flint Dilly, Flint Dilly went in shock when he heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Although, have you seen the, uh, the latest issue of Transformers? No, Flint, is- he used to hear Flint Dilly when we told him that. He's like, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, I prefer I prefer Megatron with the with the mullet because that's what yeah, that was. It was a mullet. <laughs> it was just awesome hearing Flint Dilly just going into denial mode when he heard that. It was it was amazing. It was like <laughs> Flint Dilly was really fun though. It's <laughs> although I do have to say about half of what he told us was direct from the DVD. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I recognize the story. Because I watched it like before he went before we went on with them, and I'm like, oh, he's telling us all the same stuff. That's but, a great question, paper flip, paper flip. Let <laughs> me tell you about this time. No, yeah. but what, I actually asked him about Buck Rogers. Yeah, we did get some good stuff out of him like that. And uh, we also talked about the time he met uh, Vin Diesel, and they actually almost started playing D and D right there. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, Vin Diesel's a big D and D guy. No, actually, I didn't. Oh yeah, huge, huge. I mean, I know he. I know he's a geek, but apparently, he has a really hot sister too, according to Flint. <laughs> and uh, Flint and I actually agree. The one thing we're disappointed with, well, actually, one of the many things I was disappointed in, in the GI Joe 
live action movie was the fact that they killed Cover Girl. So, see, I was disappointed in almost everything. I, when, I was when I was, they had the power suits on. I thought this is going to be absolutely freaking stupid. It was. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Scarlet uh, the, the, needs to be with either Duke or Snake Eyes. That's it. Not, That's it. Not Buddy Rich. Not Marlon Wayans. Uh, nobody should be with Marlon Wayans. You know what? It would, it would be better. Not the had, nobody should be with Marlon Wayans. It would be better if they had Damon Wayans, but marginally better. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, I, I, I'm not defending the suits, but I think they're a whole lot less stupid than when the, the commander puts on that you know, bubble wrap at the end. Yeah. And I would rather. I would that. rather they had the hood because you know it would have been KKK imagery, but you know it would have, it would have worked. Well, yeah. I, well, that's exactly I hate the fact that they let us know who he is. We're not supposed to know who the commander is. And you know what? Yeah, it was in the thing that ruined me watching the movie was my friend Rob was like, I started giggling through the movie, and he told me to stop because this shit was serious. And <laughs> see, I would have just started laughing more. This is serious. It's, let me guess. This he... guy liked Transformers too, didn't he? The movie, yeah. Oh God! That oh. That, well, actually, so... actually, my friend Rob is the kind of guy that. W- will never criticize anything because he will try to find the good in anything because there was no good in that. I mean, we've actually come up with a phrase, which means any absolutely ridiculous, inappropriate sexual situation, which makes no sense, whatever. We just call it devastators balls. (laughs) So could you apply that to the pretender when she's trying to like tongue kill Sam in his dorm room or the uh, bathroom scene in transformers three, that was a devastators balls moment. Oh, Jesus. Yes. So now, whenever you see something like that, you're just going to be... The phrase, Devastator's Balls, are going to be going through your head. Either we're, that beneath, just... we're beneath the enemy's strotum. I, I mean... Also. There was there was nothing good about Transformers 2. I think if you got rid of almost all the humanity in Transformers 3, it would have been an excellent film. But Transformers and then he, 2... And then, he, and then, he had, he, then he had Sam Witwicky rip out the Starscream's optics. Yeah. Let's hear about that. I thought it was cool, but then I realized there is no way he would have held up. He might have gotten one shot in. I'm going to be generous and say he gets one shot. There's no way he takes out bloody Starscream. No. No, I mean, Starscream, second in command to Megatron, second most powerful Decepticon in the universe. And this little pissant takes him out? No. That's that was as stupid as uh, Carly talking Megatron into. I oh, mean, oh, that reminds me. That reminds me uh, Mike Blanchard compared that scene to Carly calling Megatron a bitch to to the four horsemen in X-Men Evolution being Xavier, Magneto, yeah. Storm, and Mystique. And we never got an explanation. I still don't know what he was going with. <laughs> yeah. and we're what like, the what? fuck? I, I don't know. <laughs> the big thing is he, he complained about the fact that they were people that, that the X-Men and the Brotherhood cared about and that's what made the scene bad and like but it's called drama yeah and he compared that to this human who's basically she convinces admittedly a retarded transformer because let's face it he's missing half his goddamn head he's dressed like a hobo yeah so basically she's making fun of the mentally disabled (laughs) mentally and physically disabled 
It, so it's basically he went retard rage on Sentinel Prime. Well, the thing now, is, I'll this... tell you, they could have changed that scene and made it an absolutely fabulous scene and completely logical scene by one thing. Megatron is down there. He's wounded. She's bitching him out. And he finally goes, you know, you're absolutely right. He's I need to do it. this. And then squishes her and goes on. That would have been fit. That would have been absolutely made sense. But that, no. That reminds me of the scene in, in Transformers Armada where you have Galvatron and all these Japanese kids bitching him out because he's not going to save the team. And then he's like, okay, I'll save the team because these little kids are bitching me out. I'm like, what the fuck is this goddamn yeah. Japanese ruining Transformers before we got a chance to? Did you see the episode where they made Starscream a blanket? Yes. Oh, Jesus. Starscream yes. joined the Autobots and they made him a blanket. Yeah, and it was at that point I was like, I'm done with this cartoon. <laughs> well, I mean, any of those, I mean, I, I just figured that there was this big gap between Beast Wars uh, slash Beast Machines and Transformers Animated. There was just this big, wide, white noise there in the Transformers an- uh, cartoon world. I'd uh, argue Cybertron. Uh, Cybertron was the CG one, right? It sucks? Yeah. It was the second well, CG it wasn't as bad as uh, it was. It, you know what? When the CG looks worse than Beast Wars, which was ten years ago, really? Wow! It, oh yeah, I mean that was terrible CG, and the writing wasn't that good. The only good things about it was the fact that it was. Um, you know what? Robots in Talk and uh, I got. I can't think of his name now. Oh, that's um, another thing. That's another thing. It was David uh, K. David K. Yeah, David K. The thing is this. Yeah, yeah, we had Blanchard bitching about David K voicing Doc, uh, Professor Xavier because, like, it's it's this Beast Wars voice. I'm like, it really isn't. It really isn't. And he kept on saying, well, no, that that's a Beast Wars Megatron. I'm like, it isn't. It's similar, but it's not. You know what? It doesn't matter because every voice actor does that. Because I was watching yeah. Spider-Man's Amazing Friends and you have Frank Welker do his Fred voice. Oh, boy. Frank Welker does every voice. There is there are no voice actors. They're just people who collect the checks and give them off to Frank Welker. And Frank Welker does the annoying animal voice. Oh, Love yeah. you, Frank, but no. The, we, we were at the Phineas and Ferb uh, panel over at Comic-Con, and uh, they were talking about D. Bradley Baker and said there are three people, only three people who do animal voices in Hollywood, and this is one of them. And I'm thinking, okay, you've got D. Bradley Baker, you've got Frank Welker, and who the hell's the third? Yeah, Frank I think Welker's they just change it off. He's a, he's a made-up person. Well, it's uh, no, it's we we love the voice actors though. It's uh, but you know you, you talk about you talk about you know Carly trolling Megatron to attack at Sentinel Prime. That made me think of one thing. That made me think about how easy it was like a couple of years ago for anyone to troll Chris Chan into like making a video about anything. <laughs> and God damn it, Harry! Why did you have to introduce me to Chris Chan, Harry Partridge? <laughs> I don't know if you know who Chris Chan is, guys, but no, don't look it up. You're no, gonna be no, scarred. No, no. As long as it isn't Man Fay, I, I I can't be scarred anymore after that. Um, you no, you don't understand the the badness we're talking about, Tom. It's 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 a vortex it, it, of. It's worse than Man Fay. <laughs> well, it is now because he's going through his so Tom, much worse. He's going through his Tom Girl thing now. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Oh God! Basically, you have this uh, this uh, autistic guy who, who lives with his parents that who came up with with a, with the he basically he combined Sonic and Pikachu into one character and started a web comic about it and he's like the easy, most easily trolled person ever. Oh Lord! 
And that's the whole story. If you want details, you have to look up up at your own volition because I'm not going to tell anymore. But Neil thought for the longest time that this was like a uh, Kaufmanian. Oh, so he sounds like a competent Bobby Crosby. Yes. Okay. <laughs> except, he, except he can't hire artistic talent to do the work for him. <laughs> because Marry Me has great art. I'm just sad that the yeah, Well, I mean, when you've got the money to hire good artists, I mean... I, the course... thing is, Marry Me had awesome art. It's just that the story was shit. The, the story had potential. And I then mean, everybody was... everybody concept, was... I thought that was a great idea. And then you turn it into Mary Sue Extreme Dream. I mean, go away. And if you've ever had to deal with him in person, oh, God, don't. <laughs> no, He is a monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. He's a redheaded stepchild that should have never been let out of the attic. Oh, God. I just... But, yeah, it's uh, we had a lot of great... Uh, yeah. X-Men Side-by-Side is going to be on tomorrow. You all should you, you all should listen to it. We'll have Flint Dilly interview on. So, Tom, why do you think Flint Dilly didn't deserve the uh, writing credit for the movie? If I remember the story correctly, there were actually a couple of other writers, and I don't remember who they were, who wrote the story. But they were not union members. Mm-hmm. Which means that they had to have somebody to give the credits to who was a union member, and that was Flint Dilly. But then again, Flint Dilly didn't even get the writing credit himself. It was credited to Ron Friedman. Yeah. And they just said Flint Dilly was a story consultant. Yeah. It's only Dilly now who's saying, yeah, I wrote the movie. Yep. But it's he got a lot of great stories, though. And he, you know, and he did actually make a really good point about, you know, yes, his family does own the rights to Buck Rogers, but he felt more comfortable doing his own thing versus just writing Buck Rogers. So I can agree with that. Hey, if it brings back Aaron Gray, I'm good for anything. And uh, he says that if they do a Buck Rogers movie, they should totally do it like Flash Gordon. Oh, yeah. No, no. I mean, <laughs> as much as I love the original, Fla- well, the the first full-length Flash Gordon movie. That's the one we're talking about. <laughs> yes, with the Queen music from the yeah. De Laurentiis family. I love it. One of the best movies ever. It's one of the heights of my collection. I don't want to see it again being remade or anything in that style. You can't do it justice. Even even with Buck Rogers. Even with Buck Rogers. Mm. No, I mean I'm, I'm I'll, I'll admit I was a fan of the first season of the TV show and the movie. Yeah, I thought that it was. A, I mean, having the way they got Rogers in there was a unique concept to me. I thought it was great. It was better than being trapped in a cave. But I slept too long. <laughs> but when they go through and put them on that you know, arc to search out from humanity, oh god! <sighs> but yeah, it was actually uh, yeah, Flint Dilly was great. We loved having him on because he was just so fun, and you know he he had a lot of Frank Miller stories too. And I I told Flint, you know, no offense against. You know, Ray, uh, no offense against Frank Miller, but I saw a picture of him in the '80s. He looked like Ray Romano back then. <laughs> well, that oh, explains why he kept getting sold with a frying pan. <laughs> no, he did. He did. Have you ever seen a picture of Frank Miller in the '80s? He looked like Ray Romano. He did. Yeah. You know, I did have to hold my tongue during the interview because I realized he only wrote two episodes of the Transformers. One was the Five Faces of Darkness, which we all know is not oh. my favorite episode because it's Acom. Yeah. Well, that and it's just a dumb story. And then the yeah. other one is is a prime target, which is which is like 
uh, what's what's that movie uh, where the guy's trapped on the island and they got the game hunter going after him? Is it, uh, most is da- it the most dangerous, the most dangerous game. game? It's like it's like a rip off the most dangerous game. You know what? I'd rather have Flint Dilly on the show any day over Stan Bush. Yeah, because Flint Dilly actually worked on the show, and while Stan Bush is like, I do, I changed my hair again to look like your current girlfriend. Can I please be in your movie now? Because I don't know, Tom, if you know this, but uh, but uh, Stan Bush re-recorded the touch, trying to sound like Lincoln Park. Yeah, I saw the video. And that's totally like your ex-girlfriend changing her to look like your current girlfriend saying, hey, can we have a fling again? <laughs> and it's like, Stan, Transformers is over. They, they don't need you anymore. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself more than you're helping. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I heard the uh, recent redo that he did uh, when All or One or something like that, and it's... Mm. Did he do it in the Lincoln Park style again? No, he didn't. No. God, thank God. Well, at least the world's not about to break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Tom. You might like the cartoon, but that song sucks ass. Which one? The Touch? No, uh, the Avengers theme song. Oh, well, I don't think it's that bad. (laughs) The world's about to break. It's time for intermission, boys and girls. Take a deep breath. Relax. The Webcast Beacon Network has been covering and promoting creativity and the creative process since 2007. With the Webcomic Beacon, its newscast, the Tropecast, and Web Fiction World. You know, you can take a break from stupid things on Tumblr to go look at something useful. I would feel cheated if one of my friends said, Hey, I wanted to share this comic book, and they gave me three pages torn out of the comic book. (laughs) Depends upon whether or not the action girl is capable of penetrating the wall of stock footage that the magic girl throws up while she's prepping. Not only hungover but I also accidentally ate spoiled cream cheese, so I also had mild food poisoning. Uh, Anti-traditional publishing, much? Um, no, it's not, nothing to do with that. You'd have to be buried like hazmat, like in a salt mine. <laughs> For three years, I've shown up once a week and tried to be serious. <laughs> and normally, we just sit around talking about boobs, but... Uh... Web comics, comic news, tropes, and web fiction, all at webcastbeacon.com. So, uh, the Quester tapes was a Roddenberry project. Yes, it was. Uh, starring uh, Mike Farrell and oh god, I'm trying to. Remember. I could John see Vernon. Uh, John Vernon was on it, but he wasn't the star. The person who played Quester was Robert Foxworth. Robert Foxworth. Yes. We all Somebody have our. We have we have our wit wikis open. <laughs> it's. Uh, but I mean, it's. God, I've been looking for a copy of that for a friend for years. Gene L. Coon is listed before Roddenberry. Yeah. So, yeah. it's a... Well, um, Gene Coon, I believe, was producer where Roddenberry was listed as executive. Yeah. I don't and... know. It's a, what, what are your feelings on Roddenberry as a creator? Do you, do you feel like he works best when he's really constrained, or do you think that he's allowed to do whatever he wants to is the best, is the best environment for him? Well, I can automatically disprove the second statement by saying the first two seasons of Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, God, yes. I, I, I just know people who think that Roddenberry, Roddenberry hated the best Star Trek movies because they were too militaristic 
and he disliked the Navy overtones. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you're a Navy aviator. What's wrong with you? Yeah, look at look at your own Star Trek. I mean, you had rank systems. You had things that needed to be done. It was a, a military or paramilitary or even Coast Guard is still military. You, you have you have you have photon torpedoes and phasers. What were those for? Just for show. Yeah. But I mean, later in life, I mean. It probably was the Alzheimer who's starting to kick in there. God rest his soul. Uh, and he so, just so you think that he really was thinking? You think he really was writing TOS when he was writing TNG? No, I mean he even admitted that when he was doing writing Next Gen, he didn't want any conflict on there whatsoever. And that's rule number one of writing is there will always be conflict. You have to have conflict to have a story, whether it be man versus the environment, man versus man, or man versus himself. There's conflict there. And to eliminate conflict from a story, as Roddenberry was wanting to do with Next Gen, you're, you're prone to failure. And the whole, I mean, we cannot acknowledge the original Star Trek nonsense they had in the beginning. You know, Just, what, you know what's really, you know what I'm really glad about? You know the episode with the aging admiral taking the youth drug? Yeah. That was originally going to be James Kirk. Uh, thank God Shatner said no. Yeah. Thank God well, Shatner said no. Take a look at the first episode, not uh, uh, Encounter at Farpoint, which was more an introductory movie than an episode, but The Naked Now. You know which what? It was a blatant ripoff of The Naked Takai, Now. Takai said he was embarrassed for the actors. For he said, he said it felt like watching a child put on their parents' clothes and walk around. Yeah. Takai said that. Mm. I mean, it wasn't until the third season when he, when Gene was removed from the show. And he that, had Ron Moore doing the Klingon episodes, and yeah. Well, I mean, it, I mean, we really didn't see Next Gen take off into its own until what is arguably one of the best episodes of Next Gen, Best of Both Worlds. You know what really pissed me off about Best of Both Worlds? Let's hear it. What was... Berman fired the guy who did the music for Next Gen because the music was too good. You want to explain that one? Okay, yeah. It's uh, let me look up the name of the guy. It, it it was a composer. What was his name? It was a uh, jeez, I forgot the name of the composer. It's, he actually won a Ron Jones did the music for Next Gen from season one all the way to Best of Both Worlds, Best of Both Worlds Part Two. He won awards for that track. He was fired from Star Trek after that by Berman because Berman said the music was too noticeable. Okay. Why is that a bad thing? Well, because Berman is an idiot. Obviously, Berman did. Berman did uh, the episode with the uh, salamander sex. So, wait, that was a Voyager episode, wasn't it? Yes, it was, but it was still Berman. Well, anything about Voyager? I mean, yeah, say what you will. Berman also gave us DS Nine, which was one of the best series that we had. Ron, Ron Moore. Ron Moore. Berman might have birthed it, but Ron Moore yeah. crafted it. But then we also had Brennan Braga come in, who, you know, I think uh, Tom Smith had it right. The guy who almost killed the franchise. Yeah, it's a. Uh, but Ron Jones was fired by uh, by Rick Berman. Rick Berman said he did because his music was too noticeable. Yeah, that that's ego taking place. You know, they're noticing that they aren't paying enough attention to me and my writing or story or directing or whatever. And uh, Jones openly openly criticized Berman for it by saying that the music after him was less melodic and more pad-like. Yeah. And that uh, Berman says that the music is there to enhance the scene and the scene's not there to enhance the music. And I'm like, well, then write better. Yeah. 
right better it's a and what pissed me off about ron jones is ron jones was fired from that and guess what he's doing now the music for family guy oh jesus no if you want to get really pissed off watch the scene from best of both worlds part two where where picard says we have engaged the borg and they play that really cool orchestral sound with the choral behind it and then watch watch the episode of family guy where peter griffin does can't touch me I'm sorry, you cannot pay me enough to watch any episode or segment or outtake from <laughs> I'm Family I'm just telling Guy. you, if you do that back-to-back and, and you know that's both Ron Jones doing both of that, you'll get pissed off. What a waste of talent. But then everything about Family Guy is a waste. You, you know what actually got... Celloid, flesh, You, you know what got Ron Jones' his, his job for Star Trek? His work on DuckTales. Woo-hoo! Because apparently his work on DuckTales was so good that... that Someone in at uh, Paramount's like, we have to get him because if you can make a cartoon sound this good. Yeah, well, I mean, that's still one of the catchiest cartoon th- themes there is. Yeah. It, it will never leave your head. Nope. Stop quoting the nostalgic critic. I'm saying that of my own free will, bastard, because it never leaves my head. Okay, fine. I'm just, but like I said, I just that pisses me off that he's working for one of the worst hacks in animation now. No, no, I wouldn't say that because that's an insult to all the hacks out there. But it's, you should listen to us bet, bitch about Seth MacFarlane on the Faux Twenty Five. I don't have to. Uh, between me and uh, John Lachaw of Accidental Centaurs, there's enough hate for Seth MacFarlane and his. Um, let me put it this way: I would rather read a comic series written by the idiot than I would watch anything of Seth MacFarlane's. Whoa! Now don't get crazy. <laughs> That's not crazy. I mean, that's how bad I... You, you, know what, you know what really pisses me off is he decided the best way to parody Star Wars was to do like a transcription of Star Wars and have the Family Guy characters playing the parts, but have have them do the scenes almost line for line, except for like a one-liner joke. Yeah. And that's what his idea of doing a Star Wars parody. I'm like, you are a hack. You're just transcribing Star Wars and throwing in a joke here and there. You know what Star Wars parody is? Go go watch Mel Brooks' Spaceballs. Look for look at an actual comedic mastermind do something. I was thinking Thumb Wars, but well, you don't uh, like you don't like the Brooks now. I well, I I was never a big fan of Spaceballs or anything that came after that. Now I will say, I mean, one of the funniest films of all time is Blazing Saddles, which you could not do nowadays. The ending, the ending ruined the movie. I actually kind of liked. I thought it was a nice twist to the movie, just a kind of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink to it again. Uh, I don't have any self-respect. I work for Mel Brooks. Yeah. You know, my favorite Star Wars parody is the robot chicken stuff. Well, that's great because you have, you have the ghost of Jar Jar Binks haunting uh, Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> Voiced by the original Jar Jar Binks voice. Oh, God. That was hilarious. I, hilarious. No, I, I, I just love that. Uh, you, you, you just have you just have to say... You just have him going around bothering Darth Vader saying, Annie, Annie! And he's like, I'm no longer Anakin Skywalker. And it sounds so corny and stupid because it is. No, I love the Breck and Myers. Uh, anytime Boba Fett's on screen, they just play him as like the douchiest douchebag <laughs> ever. He's like, oh, Solo, Solo on the rocks. You know, that whole thing that he's like, what's Where that? he's trying to make out with Solo in the, in the yeah, Carbonite. What's that? You want a little piece of the Boba? Oh, you dirty little smuggler. Oh, and then, God. and that's not nearly as funny as I think it's the second. 
I, I love the one where they actually had Mark Hamill and they hired Darth Vader to tell the future of what happened and how he built C-3PO. And Luke's like, you know what? If you're not going to take this seriously, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was good. But I like in the second one where uh, you see what happens to Boba Fett after he gets swallowed by the Sarlacc. What happens? Well, he's basically... He goes down and there's uh, like one of the, the the one Jabba guard that went in first. He's like strapped to the wall, and being slowly digested. And he's like, "Hey, what happened? Oh, I took out Darth. I took out you know Solo and the Wookiee, and even took out Skywalker right between his baby blues." And he's just talking this incredible amount of bullshit, and then he starts crying, and he does like the theme song, like the do 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 do, but he's sobbing at the same time. I'm okay. <laughs> he's just like he couldn't believe that his whole life of uh bullshit of bounty hunting was just bullshit yeah oh and, you know you know my favorite thing about the extended universe stuff is extended universe stuff most of it sucks because most of it's dbz style power power gliding with making everything insanely powerful having luke create four storms that can swallow star destroyers and all this other bullshit and then you have like you have this extended universe story where you have Darth Maul survive being cut in half and he has robotic legs and this is an extended universe story so everybody has DBZ style power levels and guess who kills Darth Maul in this story Boba Fett? No. George Lucas No. <laughs> Lucas. Uncle Owen with a rifle You want to repeat that because I think you said <laughs> Uncle Owen Uncle Owen with a rifle kills the badass <laughs> Badass, uh, robot-legged, uh, insanely powerful extended universe version of Darth Maul. Uh, okay, let me get this straight. One of the burnt corpses from Episode Four took out a Super Saiyan Sith. Yes, <laughs> with a rifle. Uh, okay. In the observatory. Hey, hey Brent, I, I, Ben, I'm not sure, but it is when your brains leak out your ears, it's supposed to be black and pink like that? <laughs> well, the thing is this. I hate Darth Maul anyways, and the double blade lightsaber is the stupidest weapon in uh, in fictional history, but... No, that's... Uh, no, I get that. It's just... I, I just love the fact that they, like, pumped up Darth Maul to be this badass through, like, this four-issue comic series. And who gets him? Uncle Owen with a rifle. I've got chills. I'm not. I'm not even kidding, like... Oh, I feel unclean now. You do know about Jackson, right? Which one's Jackson? Bucky O'Hare. Oh, oh, yeah. Say what? You, Tom, you're a Star Wars guy. You don't know about Jackson? Are you Samuel L. Jackson? No, Jackson. No. Okay, one sec. I'm not really a Star Wars guy. Okay, there you go. I, I'm going to tell you right now, Ben, I'm going to try and not to enjoy this too much. Take a look. <laughs> this really happened. If you listen carefully, you will hear Thomas's brain break open. <laughs> Basically what happened is the, the, the writers decided we'll introduce this character who's a rabbit, a green-furred space rabbit named Jackson, who's Han Solo's buddy. And then after this series happened, they were told, okay, don't do this again. <laughs> Okay, and he had a group with him called the Star Hoppers. Yes. In oh, wait, 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 wait. This is a parody, isn't it? No, they did this. They did this because they thought this was a good idea. Christening it the Rabbit's Foot. Okay. Captain Bucky O'Hare. 
Oh, God. Now, that, thanks, Ben. You know, I had almost suppressed this. You know, the therapy was working. I was on my medication. All of a sudden, big green buddy. I love, how, I love how they drew him realistic style. It's the most horrifying thing you'll ever see. A seven-foot-tall rabbit. What's not scary about that? Among the first ten hopefuls had been rejected by Solo, the next three, including the Spiner Hedgie, the pirate Amazia Fox Train. God, Lucas must have made these names up. And the, <laughs> the purported Jedi Knight Don Juan Quixote. No. Yes, that's what it says. Oh, God damn it. Come on. We're all accepted in Solo's band. Oh, God. I'm hoping they're talking rock band. That's the only thing that would make any sense with names like that. I don't know, man. That uh, sounds kind of epic. Don Juan Quixote. Good. What, what, what is this from? This is from the comic books. Oh, the Marvel stuff or somebody else's? I think it was the Marvel stuff. That would make sense, Ben. Yeah. And like I said, what happened was they did this as a series, and then after the series happened, uh, someone from LucasArts told told them, okay, don't do this again. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and basically, they also t- gave the fans a letter basically saying this character will never show up again. So you know that scene from Simpsons with Poochie? That actually happened. Yeah. Jackson went back to his home planet. <laughs> and his spaceship crashed on the way there. <laughs> like I said, I'm just surprised uh, that the creators of Bucky uh, O'Hare didn't like do a lawsuit. Well, I wonder which one was created first. Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. What? That's it. Well, I was reading this, uh, the rest of this wiki, and the last paragraph. Um, oh, wait, he was in Clone Wars. Yes, on a wanted poster. Oh. Yeah, it's remarkable similarity to the Larry Hama character, Bucky O'Hare. But I love how you say that with such irony. I mean, just not right. I don't even want... I, I, I'm not sure if I want to watch Star Wars anymore, Ben. <laughs> just, just the, just the original three. You're fine. Fuck George Lucas. <laughs> Come on, I'm people so, were, people were it, saying that long before they were saying fuck Jeff Johns. Yeah, yeah. I was saying. I, I've always said that uh, Lucas has done a terrific job for the movie industry in the technology department. <laughs> So I got to see the new Thundercats cartoon this afternoon. Oh, how was it? It was all right. It I need to see more of it. Really. But uh, but was it trying too hard to be epic? Um, uh, really hard to say at this point. But the one thing I did like about the Thundercat, the new Thundercats, was that I'm so sick and tired of these cartoons where it's like where you got the you got the the ancient the ancient prophecy. Uh, yeah, the ancient prophecy of magic and and mystery and all this crap and and there's always like the one skeptic who's like no no magic doesn't exist and he ends up being wrong in this cartoon they reversed it it's like Lionel who's like is there technology out there and they're like no no Lionel that's a, that's a myth and then and then robots start showing up and I'm like yes <laughs> that's the way it should but be but didn't they get rid of the sci-fi nature of them leaving from the Tundera for the for third yeah. earth and uh... yeah I kind of like that that part of the old cartoon like 
the shots where the where the shuttle is like flying overhead of the camera. Yeah, now they won't even animate shit like that anymore. They're like, that looks cool. We can't animate that. Uh, I will say this: it's kind of predictable. Like, is Lion though still you know not how he's supposed to be? Yeah, that's the only thing I don't like is Lionel's design. He's got kind of a the frog faced. Uh, no, design. but I mean the fact that he's not like a ten year old in a. Oh yeah, he's not a ten year old. Damn it! But it's still like the the coming of age idea of what Lionel is, you know. Yeah. They're they're pulling the Rodimus thing with him. Arise, Lionel Prime. I'm, yeah, I'm not liking the hair. I, I like I like the old poofy hair from the '80s. And like I said, you know, Chitaro's bustier here, but you don't go for that. So, well, I don't, I don't know, because everyone keeps keeps saying how bigger boobs are, and I keep thinking, I keep expecting like like Dolly Parton boobs, and I'm like, well, they're not that big. Well, before she was very athletically built, is is all. Now she's like, yeah, that's C-cups. that's true. Now that's she's true. now she's now she's rocking C cups. So, yeah, that's true. They kind of they kind of thinned her out. And, now, now her boobs are a little more noticeable. Whereas back then, she was she was solidly built. Yeah, she was. Yeah, I can I can understand that. And her hair is too long. <laughs> and there's fucking Snarf. God damn it! Although Snarf doesn't talk. <laughs> well, that's the charm of Snarf. No, Snarf is just damn cute. It's definitely not Pikachu. Um, but let me ask this: uh, Did what did you think of the He-Man remake on Cartoon Network? The one that lasted two. I seasons? loved it. I loved it. That you will love Thundercats. I love the He-Man remake because they made because they actually explained Skeletor and Keldor and all that, and they made it and they made and they made Prince Adam's father a badass warrior king versus just a a fuddy duddy king. Yeah, yeah. And this one, Thundercats is like I said, they add a lot of characterization which wasn't there originally. Uh, They add there are some in jokes. Like I said, technology is a mythical thing, and the first time you meet Lionel, he's down in the slums of the city of Thundera to visit a black market dealer to see technology. And one of the things that they show is a Robear arm. The burble. <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is. It's awesomeness. Yeah. It is yeah. awesomeness squared. But uh, it's been a good talk, guys, but I'm going to be late for work if I don't get going now. So, <laughs> Okay, okay. Good, good luck, JT from Saskatoon. Thank you very much, Ben Carver. <laughs> but uh, to, to me, though, it's a... I I haven't seen the uh, the Avengers season two thing, but I heard that there were obvious animation errors. That that's the one thing that bugs me is I've number one Pete, fans of the Avengers show keeps on telling me that five episodes is not enough to get a feel for the series, and I should really watch the whole thing to get the feel for the series, and that'll convert me instantly. I'm like, why do I have to watch twenty odd episodes? Can't five be a good enough sample? See, I'll be honest. I, there are things about the new Avengers series I like. There are a few things I don't. I think they've got some pretty good characterization. I think there are some things which uh, were a bit of laziness. It's a good series. It's not a great series. Um, well, if so Thundercats th- keeps this c- level of quality, it will last maybe one season on Cartoon Network because they can't stand quality. Yeah. Uh, but to me, though, the you know, I was told that there was a scene in the season two of Avengers. Did you see the episode at Comic-Con, Tom? No, I did not. Okay, basically they're fighting Doctor Doom. The Hulk charges at Doctor Doom. Doctor Doom blasts him out of the room. Basically blasts him straight out of the Doom castle. And then the very next shot shows the Fantastic Four and the Avengers charging at Doctor Doom. And who's in the charging shot? The Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a classic. Call. That's a classic Marvel gaffe. 
That's an yeah, ACOM that, error. That's that's going all the way back to the eighties. That that's something you see in Transformers. That's the thing you see in Five Faces of Evil. <laughs> five Faces of Dark. Yes, Five Faces of Darkness. Yes, it. I I said to I said to my friend who watched it who tried to defend it like, you know, Bruce Tim would kick that back, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a quality control. And you you think they would do that now because it's it's not just Marvel. They they could say, hey, we're Disney, bitch. Go animate this right. Yeah. Yeah. But they're like, eh. Well, the, the whole thing is this. Uh, as Hal Hefner said, he knew a guy who was offered a job to be the forerunner of this show, the guy who runs the show. And he rejected it because he saw he wouldn't have any control and that they were too busy worried about pushing it out versus making it done right. But when you said, when you said that, that uh, Dr. Doom knocked away the Hulk, I, I thought you were going to make a joke and say that uh, that uh, Robin came in and kicked, <laughs> kicked Dr. Doom. <laughs> No, no, but like I said, you had the very next shot was the Fantastic Four and the Avengers charging at them, and the Hulk was in the charging shot. Yeah. So it wasn't like a piece of stock footage of the Avengers charging. It was like a brand new scene that they had to animate. They just, like... And nowadays, yeah. it makes no sense to not kick something back because it's all done on computer. They have the different levels, which are being done with different characters. It's not the same as when they had to do it on cells. Yeah. There's no reason for it anymore. Yeah, I even told my friend that that's something that could be done over here in post. They could just remove the Hulk. Yeah, and and for them yeah. to not do that, and they show it at Comic Con, at Comic Con, and they have the error in there. And I was told that in the episode where the where Captain America's shield breaks, you have like a shot shot of the shield being broken, and you have the shot of him having a shield on again. And the very next shot, he's having a completely different shield on than Asgardian shield on. When Captain America breaks his mighty shield, I'll have to look at that one because he does pick up. I mean, the shield breaks, and he does pick up a different shield. Yeah. They show him doing that, but I don't remember him seeing, uh, picking up or seeing the other shield, uh, his main shield. Yeah, uh, that together happened. again after that, I'll have to look at that one. It the is on Netflix right break. now. It is on Netflix right now. And by the way, on Netflix, if you watch the old '90s Iron Man series, every episode's one minute and fifty seconds long, because they messed up the encode at Netflix or something, or maybe they Marvel actually shipped out the DVDs like that. But the episode's only long enough for the intro. In other words, they're actually good. <laughs> it's really no, fun. Second, I remember the theme music. I take that back. <laughs> it's the first season Iron Man, not the second one with the trying to be like Black Sabbath, but not. Uh, yeah, oh, give, well, me the, give me the 60s one. I mean, I'm still a member of the Mary Marvel Marching Society. Yeah. He's Iron Man. Hey, don't diss the theme song because it did wonders. I loved how they inserted it in the first movie. And at least, you know what? I'm glad they didn't try to put Captain America that throws his mighty shield into Captain America. I was so disappointed because I wanted that in there. Even as a brief thing, I wanted that. I loved Cap's theme song. At least it's not... Uh, I, I sang it on This Week in Geek when we did the Cap episode. I actually sang Captain it. America I, I sang what's his mighty shield. Yeah. But I just, I just really... I, I just really don't like how, you know, they have the scene, the episode of the Cosmic Cube, and you have the Hulk stop in the battle to give the, you have the Captain America stop in the battle to give the Hulk a verbal hand job about how awesome the Hulk is. That was terrible. That was corny. That was hokey. That had no place there. And that, if I remind you, that was two minutes after the Hulk said he was going to eat Black Widow. <laughs> but actually, it does make sense in a way because when you've got somebody who is that volatile, you want to go through and give massage, him a hand job. Well, massage the ego is the phrase that we would use. Okay. 
you know, so you have to give a little special attention, which still sounds dirty, uh, to those types of people. Yeah, I mean, because, I, I mean, that's the thing about the Hulk. I love the way that they're handling it because it is. He could go either way. He's on the balance. And with some of what Cap is doing, and we're, uh, even Thor, they are acknowledging the fact that he is someone who has this potential to be good, and they can see that potential in him, and it's up to him to do it. Uh, I, I just dislike the hand job, and I dislike them hinting at Winter Soldier. That was lame. Oh, yeah. That, I've got a whole big... Bucky should stay dead. There was a rule. We had a contract, comic companies. We had a contract. No Jason, no Bucky, no Uncle Ben. You broke that contract. Uncle Ben, Bucky Barnes, Barry Allen. Jason Todd. Jason Todd. Well, Jason Todd, yeah, I agree with that one. Mainly because, how did he die? People wanted him dead. They (laughs) voted overwhelmingly to have him killed. But no. As sick as it was back then to have that vote, it went through. They said, what, 70% something? Kill him. It was, no, it was a contract. It was a contract with the readers. Yeah, and I mean, I don't care. It, people are saying, well, the Winter Soldier storyline was great. I don't care. Bucky Barnes remains dead. They even had an episode, an issue of God, what, West Coast Avengers which Cap was in, and they had to fight death. Oh, God, it was a bad... It was a Tom DeFalco issue, if I remember correctly. And one of the characters... I mean, they had Captain Marvel there, who was dead. They had a few others who were dead. And they had Bucky Barnes! Who was dead. Who was dead. It might have been the 50s, Bucky. No, it was... I'm making fun of it now. Besides, they brought the 50s Bucky back as Cap as well for a while. And then they brought 50s Cap back as the Great Dictator. Yeah. It's... Marvel Comics, you used to be the house of ideas. Now you're the house of no idea. Now they're the house of mouse. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, (laughs) when they came out with Marvel Zombies 2, I knew... That they had sold out completely. What about Marvel Zombies meet uh, Army of Darkness? I never read it. I refuse to wow. read anything with the words Marvel Zombies. What about JL Ape? Oh, God. But then, <laughs> JL Ape, I read simply because it was a throwback to some of the 70s books. I mean, they had uh, a bunch of ape stories back in the late 70s. So I read it and. I regretted it. Not as bad as some of the other stuff I've read. <clears throat> Flashpoint. Um, <laughs> anything written by Didio. I remember how they were talking about how uh, how I remember Didio was jacking off at the fact that he thought that Barry Allen was the first superhero. Say what? The I mean, Dio, I the Dio a- has an interview where he said that Barry Allen is the first modern superhero. <sighs> Barry Allen was the introduction of the silver age i will give him that i mean there's there's no way around that because that when um julie schwartz had it commissioned to try and restart superheroes barry allen was the first superhero to come out of the to lead the way i'm gonna pull up the interview because this he really did say that 
I could believe it. I mean, if he says the first modern superhero, well, I'm sorry, that shows how ignorant he is because you have the silver, Golden Age, Silver Age, Bronze Age, Modern Age. And now with him and Caseta in charge, the Age of Crap. Or the Brown Age, you could call it. How about how about the Manure Age? No, nah, that's too kind to him. It's, yeah. The Compost Age. I mean, I, I literally wanted to go up to one of the panels. I mean, I I heard what he did on the panels. You, well, was, you wanted to be you wanted to be Jack Ruby. No, um, oh, actually, come I, on. Wanted, I really wanted to go up there and tell him I wanted to thank him because with this economy, I don't have as much income coming in as I used to, and he just made it a lot easier on me because I don't have to buy DC Comics anymore. Well, then that's that's when you pull out the forty five and put three in his chest. No, he's not worth it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it really is. I, I mean, I'm, I've been buying IDW. I love what they're doing with the Transformers franchise. Um, so with Megatron with the long, lovely locks of... Read the latest Transformers issue. The whole thing, Megatron has surrendered to the Autobots. For what reason? We don't know. Optimus is suspicious. I'll give it better that it's better than the Marvel series where they made Grimlock the leader for five years. Yeah. But this... The, well, who was this... that? Simon Fuller, Neil? Yeah. Uh... Well, Fuller's done almost all the writing on Transformers. I, but Furman. Yeah, Furman has like his hard on for Grimlock being the leader. Well, in the current run, he's the leader of the Dinobots, and that's it. And he's basically an outlaw. I know, but... but finish, it, the latest issue of Transformers is nothing more than a talk between Megatron and Optimus Prime. But like I said, it, I just remember that Grimlock was the leader in the Marvel comics for a while because... 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 That writer has like this hard on for Grimlock, thinking Grimlock is like this tortured king figure or something. And I'm like, you're stupid. Stop it. <laughs> it it's almost as bad as revealing that the that the that the Dinobots were actually from the Beast Wars era. And what happened was oh. they went back in time to the Beast Wars era. They got beast modes, and then the lava melted off the the, the flesh, and they were suspended, and they came back. And <laughs> no, actually, that made that made sense to me. Uh, where, I mean, uh, that was that's the current run with IDW, um, where they were the Dino D Y N O bots, and it was all down Shockwave. The the thing did make sense to me, but yet really, I mean, the latest the one the talk between Megatron and Optimus Prime, you see how similar and yet how different the two characters are. What was the name a, of the, what was the name of the what was the name of the robot body that Starscream had built for himself that was half Optimus half Megatron in design? That one escapes me. Neil knows it. Um, what is it? I Optimus have no Prime. idea what you're talking about. Mega Prime. Uh, okay, I know I saw this, Neil. I'm I'm drawing a blank. I don't know okay. what this is. And then there and then there's Ultra Magnus with his inner Autobot. Oh, uh, don't you... even don't <laughs> even talk about that. I'll let Neil bitch about that because Tom, how do you feel about that? About what? About Ultra Magnus's inner Autobot. You mean the White Prime, or the White Optimus. See, I am a fervent supporter of uh, no toy accuracy. (laughs) There's a reason why they didn't do it in G1. It's because the toys just don't work as, like, like living robots. They just don't. I I look at it this way. Voiced by Robert Stack. I don't need to know anything else. Yeah. Open, damn it. They never showed Small White Prime in, in the cartoon series, 
and I applaud them for that decision. And they haven't in the current IDW run either. I like the fact that... Was the, are you sure? Wasn't the IDW the one that showed Ultra Magnus' inner Autobot? I'll be honest, I haven't seen it. Whenever I've seen him, it's always been in full mode, or it's been in uh, vehicle mode with the trailer. I have not <coughs> seen anything in between. Neo. What? I do know what you're talking about, but I think that's a much older comic. Neil, bitch about bitch about the, the records for a few minutes. The rec, you know, I don't really have a, I, you know, I only brought up the records w- with you once. And my only, my only gripe about it was that it was, it was kind of a, it kind of had a grittiness to it that I didn't really feel fit in the Transformers universe. Plus, they were using toys that were never, that were, specifically put together because they were the toys that were never shown in the cartoon series. It was the jump starters and the and the Bandai toys. See, I mean, uh, I'm liking what they're doing with the Wreckers simply because uh, this is a thousand, two thousand, three thousand, ten thousand year war. There's going to be some grittiness, and that's one of the things I'm liking about this is that there are repercussions where the people are just getting tired. Besides, the Wreckers had Springer. Yeah, but I, I kind of like Springer in the uh, movie the where the, after, after Ultra Magnus gets torn apart, Springer becomes the leader. Yeah, yeah, he, he he was always that one character you always pulled for because. He was never the main character, but he kind of kicked ass. Yep. He was a character that you liked, but just never really got the spotlight. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, uh, Mike Blanchard, who we've been making fun of on the show, Tom, <laughs> he, uh, what happened was he said that in the Transformers movie, he, he thought that uh, he thought that Retgar was a serious mortal threat to the Autobots throughout the whole scene, even during Dare to be Stupid being played. I, I actually, We actually asked Wait, Dare to be Stupid was played during the dance number. It was played during the fight, too. Yeah. And uh, I actually asked Flint Dilly, was Rekar supposed to meant to be always menacing? And he said, no, not really. Once you hear his voice, you're supposed to know it's a joke. Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. Eric Idle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. And, uh, I, 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 think, I don't think Blanchard really believes that. I think he was just saying that to say that. No. Yeah. It, it, you should hear this guy, Tom. This guy's, like, really, really weird. He... In the comic world, no. Well, well, what happened was Blanchard was bitching about evolution, about the fact that Xavier was walking when he was evil as the Horseman, because he was walking, and he should have been walking when he was good. He was flying. (laughs) I mean, he just levitated along. It was it was just some of the weirdest shit he was saying. He he's the guy who said that he the, the Lester Superman was better than the Donner Superman. The which what was which what? The the Superman two the Lester cut was better than the Donner cut is what he said. <sighs> I never saw the Donner cut, so I can't say. I just there were things about Superman two I liked, and and I'm sorry, cellophane, uh, cellophane shield. Where was that from? That was from Family Guy. No, that was from Superman two, where he takes the S shield and wraps up. Uh, you know, the Don- yeah, that, that's not in the Donner cut. Yeah, that's not the Donner cut at all. Thank heavens. That was, I mean, it's like Superman is always ready in case your lunch goes bad. <laughs> no, it was, it was, it was craptacular, that series. Yeah. It's a, I, I could just see the commercials. Yes. Oh, no, my lunch may spoil. <laughs> I'm here to save the day. Oh, well, I, Blanchard uh, is right now doing a podcast where he's going through every single episode of Captain Planet and the Planeteers and reviewing every single episode as a one-hour podcast each episode. Okay. Uh, is he going to wrap up with the news about that? 
Oh, oh god. Yeah, he must have a massive boner about the movie that's coming out. Yeah, it, it it's he had he had Stan Bush on his podcast five times. I like Stan Bush. I like five times. I'm sorry, Dare is a lot better than The Touch. And Dare wasn't written by him. five times. I know. That's why I'm saying the touch Dare was, was a lot better. For, the Touch was written for Cobra. Sylvester Stallone's Cobra. What? Well, I mean, what? I can't even see that song in there. Neil. <laughs> That's what I heard. And basically the song was up up for I don't know, the the record company was kind of was kind of uh marketing it out to movies and uh Transformers just picked it up. Yeah. Yeah, it was originally, it was originally written for Cobra. Yeah, it's right here in the in the song facts on the Wikipedia. I was just looking. I mean, granted, it's Wikipedia, so. But it links to songfacts.com. The song was also featured in Boogie Nights. Oh my god! Yeah, that it was, and I laughed so hard when that scene came out. <laughs> Why? And he didn't know it was in that movie either. He 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 said, Stan Bush said that he didn't know his his song was in that movie until he heard it. Wow! Wow! wow. And I'm just wondering, how does that happen? Good lord. And by the way, the the remix, Stan Bush said it was a remix a la Lincoln Park. He said it. That's his words. Yeah. So so when when the Blanchard says it wasn't really Lincoln Park, you take the rap out of it, it's not like Lincoln Park at all. Blanchard, eat it. <laughs> no, we love Blanchard. <laughs> well, the two thousand seven version of the touch was released as a free downloadable track for the video game Guitar Hero World Tour. And gee, I never bought that game. I wonder why. Mm. <sighs> he's got the touch. He's he's re recorded that song almost as many times as he been, as he's been on the Geek Cast. Yeah. Ha- has he had any other songs? Not really. He's he did he did songs for a couple of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. He did <laughs> so he did a song. No. <laughs> yeah, he did a song for the 1996 Olympics, which if you heard it, you've missed it. Let's and see. uh She's got the power featured in the American voice dub of Oh, oh yeah. Of Sailor Moon. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what Blanche would never bring bring that up because it'd be like because it'd be like a dark spot in his soul. And Blanchard's like, I'm so pissed off that people are always saying that he doesn't do anything. He's still recording albums today. <laughs> and I'm like, Blanchard, he hasn't done anything. Well, I, I did remember this. I had forgotten about that, but uh, his Till All or One was featured in the uh, end credits for Transformers War for Cybertron, and it worked. It yeah, it's a game, good song. And it was, a, it was a good song as a credit for a video game. Yeah, but it's, it's sort of like he's still pissed off that that the hot girl's not calling him back yet because he wants to be in the movie. That, that's his lifelong goal. He, that's why he changed his sound, changed his look, did the emo Lincoln Park thing. It's 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 sad. It's pathetic. Stan Bush, there's more to life than Transformers. Well, not to him. I mean, it's kind of like, um, uh, now I can't think of his name. Hold on. And by the way, the song we just mentioned, Till All Are One, that's only half written by him, because Vince, Vince DiCola also co-wrote that. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. Which Patrick? Yeah. Vince DiCola is awesome, by the way, because he has an awesome name. 
that's what I'm saying. Transformers had like the most awesome named people working on. They had Buzz Dix, an awesome name. Flint Dilly, that's an awesome name. Now I, I disagree with you on the awesomeness there. I went to school with a Flint Dilly, and he was a real ass. <laughs> was it the Flint Dilly? No. Okay. You have you have Vince DeCola. That's an awesome name. And by the way, Flint Dilly worked with Vin Diesel. Awesome name. And he worked with Gary Gygax. Awesome name. Of course, I can't help but wonder if things have been different, and his name might have been Vince de Pepsi. So, that reminds me of a joke I'm, I was told once that I was told was a racist joke, but I don't see what was racist about it. It was about the Pope. Okay. You have a young cardinal saint named Cicola, who wants to be Pope one day, and he tries really hard, and he's very studious and very talented and all that. But, but he wasn't picked by the cardinals to be Pope, and they and he asked why, and they said, "Well, we don't want a Pope named Pope Cicola." Okay. <laughs> and I was told that was a racist joke. But why? Uh, because the last name is specific to a to a nationality. With, you know, I'm getting tired of people confusing <laughs> nationality with a race. <laughs> I was confused. I'm like, how's that a racist joke? It's not. But back to what we're saying. I mean, to me, like I said, Stan Bush is like Butch Patrick. I mean, all Butch Patrick exists for anymore is Eddie Munster. All Stan yeah, Bush exists much. for is the touch. Yeah. Well, you've got to be careful about which state he does the touch in because he might get on the sex offender registry. Well, there was a – who was it was talking about being at um, the big Transformers convention, and he had a booth right next to uh, Stan Bush, and the touch was playing over and over and over <laughs> And he put up on Twitter that he had been touched by Stan Bush. <laughs> if that's the thing. If Stan Bush, all he can do is just play the touch over and over and over, that's all he's got. Yep. Do yeah. something else. Because the, on, the only other two songs he's known for is, are written by someone else. <laughs> Vince DiCola. Yeah. Yep. Well, he could play Till All or One. He wrote half of that. Yeah. Just something other than the touch. I mean, that's the thing. You have Stan Bush show up in his first time a fan season. He's like, oh, my God, Stan Bush, he's playing the touch. And then if he's there two hours later playing the touch again. He's like, oh, he's still there. Five hours later. Doesn't he have anything else? Let's At the end of the convention, he's still playing while everyone's packing up. I feel sad for him now. I mean, you go to any block con, and that's what happens. Yep. I mean... I you have the people who've never been there before. They see Stan Bush, and, and at first they're excited, and then at the end of the convention, they, they realize that's all he's got. Yeah, I was going to say he should just make a Freebird version of, of the touch, but then I remembered he did that with Dare. Oh, God. Because <laughs> uh, he did a concert at one of the BotCons, and he and Vince DiCola kind of stretched Dare out to about 10 or 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my heavens. But yeah, it's wow. So Neil, when are more Dossian pages coming out? Pretty soon. I I've been kind of busy this week, but uh, I have them almost completed. Good, good. Well, and I need to head out. I've got a bunch of work to do. Okay, good to have you on the show. We'll send you a link when it's up. Okay, sounds good. All right. Good night. Bye. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. 
Join us here on the telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on GeekCastRadio.com. Whatever you want, Sinister, but leave Gene out of this. No, Scott. Whatever happens, we're together. 